talk about anything. I've been talking to people a lot about a lot of different things, so my mind just kind of uh, went where everybody was at, and now I don't know where I'm at. So I guess I need a psychiatrist. Any psychiatrist in the house? Train your mind. So, huh? Train your mind. Train your mind? Are you a psychiatrist? <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I was going to just talk about fear. Fear of being wrong, fear of not knowing, fear of being excluded, fear of being taken advantage of. Um, it's just uh, pretty rampant. And uh, very difficult to get rid of something, especially like fear. It just, you know, as you all know, talk yourself out of it. So nothing to be afraid of here. Or, That's ridiculous. I shouldn't feel this way. How many times have we done that? About any emotion, not only fear. But it's... Uh, It's very difficult to be open enough about our experiences in our life and our and all the other people that are involved with us, uh, our families, our friends, uh, co-workers, co-workers, and so on, and not um, take some kind of a position that could be based on fear, could be based on opinions, could be based on uh, any of that. So it's not so much about not doing something or stopping doing something or somehow controlling ourselves in some way, but it's something I say over and over and over again. I still have people that have been studying with me for years and still don't understand it. You think I'm frustrated? I mean, actually, I just I say it. It's about awareness. It's not about being right or wrong, but I still have people come back and talk about this, who's right, who's wrong, and they shouldn't have done that, and they should have done this, they should have, or I should have. People do it with me, too. I just had somebody do that with me. Not... Here. <laughs> so, that being said, you can't you can't you can't express yourself, or, or you can't uh, you can't function at all without taking some kind of a position on something. Uh, I should do this. I shouldn't do that. So we're, we're always taking positions. So it isn't so much about just being in some kind of middle way where nobody takes any positions on anything. It's about being aware of that. That's that's uh, challenging. Very difficult to, to do that. It seems the only way we can do that is to meditate a lot. And I can say that if you're meditating an hour a day or half an hour a day or three hours a day or whatever it may be, it's very different for each person. Uh, some people... Uh, None, present company excluded, of course. But there's some people that can meditate the rest of their life and they aren't going to awaken. You follow me a little bit? I'm just saying. And there are other people that awaken without meditating at all. Not many. So, um, how, how else to, to encourage that other than uh, the way I try to do is I try to meet people where they're at, but I have to have to meet them. So when I talk to a group of people, uh, it's difficult to meet everybody where they're at all the time because everybody's somewhere else, more than likely. So train your mind. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how many times I've said that. You have to find some time, carve out some time to unplug your food processor mind, which is probably spinning, and over, find a space, open a wall, something simple. It could be a floor in front of you. 
sit down, hold a still as you can, and watch the way everything keeps getting cranked up over and over and over. Don't interfere with it. Don't stop it. Don't add anything onto it. No backpacks on your thoughts. No post-it notes. If you do that, you're, you're just uh, you're just causing more spinning. That's hard to do because it takes, uh, what, I don't know what fancy words we use the word discipline, or renunciation. Buddha, Buddhism is full of all kinds of uh, control words, you know, like that. So it seems to be necessary to hold still and allow your, your mind to process and to move whatever way it wants to move, uh, even though it's uh, difficult. I think I have a... I was trying to communicate something uh, that that I have some understanding of, and uh, sometimes I maybe go overboard a little bit and say things that I uh, regret. I'm about to say something that I said that I don't regret, uh, even though um, it might not always be taken too well. Is you may have to kill somebody. What am I? What do I mean by that? Do I mean that you should go out and kill somebody, or do I mean that the person that you're upset with, was so because I'm just giving me permission to go kill them? You know, it's kind of a Kind of a, not kind of, it's wrong. It's a, what I'm saying is you don't know, you don't know basically what is going to happen next. And there's no way you can control, I don't care how many insurance policies you have or how many times you pray to the Buddha or, or uh, whatever you do, you're not going to be able to control what is going to happen next. So I said that in a talk once a few years ago and uh, uh, Kevin uh, Italian New York thought that was quite humorous. You'd have to know Kevin to know why he thought that was humorous. But he did. And he uh, had a, a friend of his make a pillow for me. And so there's a pillow at the at the temple in the white tower room that this in, stitched on there. You may have to kill someone. Then there's a knife with blood dripping. <laughs> but all that is being said there is that you, you don't know what's going to you know, you don't know what you're going to do next. You don't know what you're going to feel like next. You know, you know, you could meditate and meditate, and then three weeks from now, you could go into some kind of a thing that we would call depression. And and if that does happen, then just look at it. Uh, if you can, don't name it. Anytime you name anything or judge anything or evaluate anything, go very slow in that area, please. Questions? I'd be happy to respond to them. It's called fear of not knowing, right? Yeah. Funk. Funk. Not funk. Funk. It seems like fear shows up lots of different ways. So what if you can't even see the fear that you don't even know you don't know? So that's also awareness. I mean, just a description of that. So what seems to be important is just to. Whatever your pers- uh, your situation is for you as an individual, like your your job situation or your family situation or your life, wherever you're at in your life, some of you are very young, some of you are very old, and uh, the only thing I can say is, is just try to do the best you can to meet things. Uh, you want to know what suchness is? Heard of that fancy word, perhaps? Suchness is meet everything where it's at. That is suchness. I don't care how much personality is showing up. I don't know how, how colorful or how rainbow-like or how muddy it looks. It's still suchness. Meet, meet everything where it's at. That's difficult. How do, you, how do you learn to do that? Look at the wall and meet your own mind where it's at. Very tempting to 
come out of that situation and look out at other people or other situations, whether it's your mate or whether it's your mother, father, whether it's the world, whether it's the political situation, which I commented on earlier, which I rarely do, that there's no way you can know the causes and conditions that arise at any, as any given situation. We can't know, we can't know all, everything that's behind, anything that occurs, this is why everything is, de- uh, when we say everything is dependently risen, we're not, we're not saying what well, this caused that or caused that. We're saying you can't, you can't trace it, you can't find it. But what, <clears throat> what can you find? You can find this, this, right this moment, right now. You can find it, it's here. You're actually looking at it. Yes. Can one know how to meditate? No. There's no way you can know how to meditate. That's why Suzuki, the title of Suzuki Roshi's book is Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Every time you sit down, you're a beginner. So you sit, hold still, and you, there's just no way you can know. Now you, can, you might be able to convince yourself that you're getting better, you're more aware, or you're more this or more that. Haven't you ever noticed that sometimes if people have difficulty with you, and they'll say, well, I thought you were a meditator. Why aren't you more peaceful? I say it to her all the time. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> do it to, you do that to her all the time? <laughs> She's got to get a training somewhere. I don't live up here. You think you're compassionate? <laughs> I told you to be compassionate to her. It's called ruthless compassion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask me questions. Help me out here. Yes, sir. Um, is experiencing suffering important uh, in, in terms of the path? So, the, uh, according to the history, uh, the first words out of the Buddha's mouth was, was just that, life is suffering. And the cause is desire or wanting something to be different than it is. There's how it is and we want it to be different. And so it seems to be necessary to, to experience it directly without abandoning it by fighting with it, abandoning that by explaining it, or abandoning it by turning away or ignoring it. So it seems to be necessary to experience that. And the, the kinds of uh, uh, three kinds of suffering that are, I'm not sure which one of the texts this is in, but uh, three kinds of suffering are uh, the, or pain, uh, the pain of uh, uh, the pain of pain, which is just Ordinary heartburn. <laughs> um, the pain of alternation, which is an interesting kind, because that's the kind where nothing is particularly wrong, but you know it's not going to last. So it's the pain about your. If you're in pain about something that hasn't even become painful yet, you know you're going to have uh, surgery. You know you're going to um, lose your job at some point, or you know that your relationship can't last. So. Or the, the one I'm often using, because it's probably the most painful one for me, is you know, you have a half a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> half a you're already suffering. <laughs> Even though you're enjoying the ice cream, it's not quite enjoyment because you're thinking, it's almost gone. Maybe if I take smaller bites. Maybe if I take little baby bites. Maybe if I set it aside for a while and just enjoy that I still have a half a bowl. I'm to manipulate things. And the last one is called the pain of the composite, and it has been said, I don't know how uh, this all shows up for you, but it's uh, um, this is kind of a difficult one. The pain of the composite is, it is said that this is only seen or understood or experienced by 
people who are uh, who are well on their way to egolessness or selflessness or the, what's called the bodhisattva path, because they're they're no longer grasping at itself so much, so they're they're more clear about everything else in the world, and they see suffering everywhere. And it's the pain of conditioned existence that, that you're you're no longer separate from the world like you were before. You're isolated, a little me, 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 and my stuff, my feeling, my life, my job, my family, my political views. And so you're open to everything. So then everything, there's the praise and blame for everything has uh, kind of gone away because all you see is intense suffering everywhere. And there's a lot of nerve endings out there. And you're, you're not separate from them like you were. So therefore, pain of conditioned existence, this is a continual pain that's happening all the time. And of course, it's not like, you know, uh, having a, a blowtorch on your arm particularly. But it's it's painful. It's a kind of pain that, that shows up in a different way than the, the, the nerve-ending pain. Well, can I ask about humor next? What, what's the role of humor in all this? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think levity is nice. <laughs> do I know him? Is he a comedian? Levity? He <laughs> <laughs> may I'm a sit-down guy. So, I would say... Uh, I would say humor shows up uh, in a, conceptually, if you want to go to that, it shows up as space. It's like when somebody is funny, they it's like uh, humor, the, the standard humor is the comedian, he or she or they pull a rug out, rug out and they get you to believe in something and then they pull it out and then there's a space that's left at the end of that that seems to be the part where you suddenly can't do anything but laugh about it. So um, it's, uh, uh, humor is like... Uh, uh, the experience of space that sneaks up on you, so so you laugh. Uh, it has been said in the tradition that uh, those who uh, who uh, realize the nature of who they are and what this world is uh, often just break into laughter. There's nothing else they can do but laugh about it because they've taken things so seriously for so long. They've been so serious about their life and what's happening, and then they see how how uh, that's uh, totally been misunderstood. And become quite funny. Help me out here. Yes. You were just talking about the pain of the composite, and you said life is suffering. So how how can there be the the pain of the composite is suffering? Is it mm-hmm. not? Yes. Can there be that pain and happiness at the same time? Well, they go back and forth, but they're kind of. Uh, when we, we talk about uh, unconditioned happiness, we're just talking about uh, we're talking about seeing the nature of everything. That everything is uh, in total balance and harmony, even though it's it's filled with all this confusion. So relative happiness is is just that. It's relative. We get happy and then things fall apart, and we get sad again. And have you noticed that? It just goes. I was kind of using the example of the of the, that doesn't happen to you. Well. Wow. I thought you were shaking your head no. I, I was kind of, but because I kind of have another question. Oh, okay. Well, I'll finish with the yeah. happiness. Uh, um, what's the opposite of happiness? So in, the, in this in this dialogue, suffering and happiness. Okay. So what was the question? The pain, you were just talking about the pain of the composite. Yes. The suffering, all pervasive suffering. Yes. At the same time, we all want to be happy. Yes, we want to be happy. But, but relative ha- relative happiness is it doesn't last. So we we can all get that. We just all go out and 
and walk through the woods and enjoy the, you know, if you don't have a headache or if you're not sick and, and you're doing okay, then you have your, your senses. You can go out and instead of having, uh, having looking at terrible things, uh, you can go out and look at the leaves changing. It's quite beautiful. It's very, you might not feel happy for very long, but it's quite pleasant to look at the fall colors and so on, as they say. So that, that's a kind of, is that what you meant? So what was a or just even you know on the path of realizing whatever fundamental happiness is, but if the, if the nerve endings are hypersensitive, yes, then it seems like you would might suffer more. So is is happiness and suffering? That's the polarized part of it, and the part when we're talking about the bliss of liberation, to use the fancy word that you don't hear me use too often. But if you talk about unconditioned. Happiness is like unconditioned confidence because you, you, you're no longer separated from anything. So therefore, there's just this. So there's no, uh, there's nothing to do, nothing to accomplish, nowhere to go. It's like being retired. <laughs> so it's difficult to explain that. And, and with each person, it's probably going to show up uh, quite a bit different. Let me go over here first. So, okay, the way that I am interpreting, and I'm kind of confused because, like, I feel like through my my practice, and that I continuously just, even though with with my awareness and with my study, that even though I, I become more compassionate and more aware of, you know, other people's pain and. The, the bad things around me, I, I become able to remain happy in spite of those things. But I feel like what you're saying is that my awareness should be making me more sensitive to everyone else's pain all around me. And like, I should just almost be miserable all the time because there's so many miserable people all around the world that I should just be Sad and mopey all the time because the world's such a mess. You have a question? I heard the statements. You have a so, question? You have a question? Is that, am I interpreting that correct? And no. Not. Could you explain that? Ask me a question. I'm not going to explain that. I already <laughs> explained it. Now ask me a question. So, why isn't my awareness making me just constantly miserable then? How am I able to Because you do too many drugs and you don't sit enough. You didn't want to hear that, did you? <laughs> I, I did, you didn't want to hear it, did you? I disagree. You should. You should disagree. You should do whatever you need to do with your life. Okay. Do you have another question? No. Okay, well, I was not suggesting you be mopey. It's just a complete misunderstanding. Now, whether you do chemicals or drugs, that's really up to you. And it's none of my business to no. be no, listen to me. Wait, let me finish. It's none of my business to be telling you uh, what to do. But I thought I'd poke at you a little bit and see what you did, <laughs> which is what I did. But one thing I, I am telling you, if you function as a student of mine, you need to train your mind. Mm -hmm. You really need to look at the wall and hold still and see what I'm talking about, see what this teaching of 2,500 years is talking about <clears throat> that I've only come to understand just in the last few years. And I'm old. So I'm about helping you. I'm not about supporting your confusion. Well, it did come across as though you were suggesting that I am or that I should be 
But that's, I guess, why I'm confused because it seems to me like a person's increasing awareness would just always make them that way. And I've found from my own experience it, it to be the opposite, <clears throat> I guess. Okay. So do you have a question? No, I guess not. At this point. Okay. I think, I think that's Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else want to come this way? <laughs> Aunt Hughes does. I hope she's feeling better. Well, Are you feeling better? To listen. She asks if we are able to sit or be with the fear of not knowing until it softens what remains. You might say that nothing remains rather than what remains. Now that might bring up another question, so I wouldn't be surprised if she came back this way again. <clears throat> Do you remember the context in which that first came up? Fear of, not, fear of not knowing? What was the object of that when you thought of it? When I thought of it? Yes. I was afraid of not knowing. That's how I know about it. So I know I know about any of this. Because I live it, I don't just read books. But you should read books about it. So it, it, that's how, that's, that's where that came from, is, is fear of not knowing. More? There's a fear of not waking up. I have. Do you? I think so. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that before. Yeah. I think there's a lingering. Yeah. Keep sitting. Just, just don't give up. Just keep sitting, keep sitting. It's good for you. <laughs> These girls will help you. <laughs> they send a text. You send a text. Tag team. Did she come back with another one? Yeah, I So the more, the more that I sit, the two things that happen are feeling all that suffering for other people and having a sort of helpless, like you can't run around yeah. saving everybody thing. But then at the same time, there's also seems to be, I feel more alienated also. Yeah. Like unreal, like not able to relate to people. So is there one or the other thing that needs to be looked at more closely. Just look at yourself. Just look at your own mind. It's pretty difficult to go out and help anybody without permission. And you can't, it's pretty hard to even get permission even for, from people you're really close to. They really don't want to give up any territory at all. So best thing you can do for others is make friends with yourself on some level. This doesn't mean you, you're going to be, not going to be upset with other people or irritated with them or something like that. And how do I keep it from like being so overwhelming? Like, so for example, with there's stuff going on with my mom and I'm not like trying to do anything for her. I'm not like meddling with it, but it's just so hard to watch. How much time do you spend with her? Well, she doesn't live here, so not, not a lot. So when you might say watch me, do you talk to her on the phone or do you, mm -hmm. yeah? And it's just watching things going on, I don't think she, she was here over the summer, so I was yeah. spending time with her then. So, I mean, I'm not trying to meddle with anything with her, but, but it, I just am struggling with, like, even dealing with my own feelings of wanting to meddle with it. It's like, I don't want to meddle with it, I just want to fix it for her, you know? So, how do I manage that? Well, that's probably not going to help for me to say you're not going to be able to fix it. So she has to, she has, she's a sovereign being, however you want to look at it. She, she has her own karma, her own, 
her own uh, emotional personality dynamic that is, uh, is influenced by passion, aggression, and ignorance, and, and just endless karma that comes from who knows where. Just endless streams of karma that come into this and manifest as a particular individual, apparently. So, work on yourself. Your, your access to others is through yourself. Work on yourself. More. And there's, you see what I'm saying? There's no way you can really... Yeah, you don't, you don't have permission to even go that way. Does she want you to come and stay with her? Or? Oh, she would probably love it, but <laughs> no, it's not, it's not really about that. It's, what is it about? I'm just seeing her make choices that I feel like aren't going well for her, and she's unhappy, and it is just, just seeing her suffering in her own life is just so hard to yeah. see, and then I see it in her and a lot of other people, and I'm not want, wanting to interfere with it. I just, then I'm like carrying the sadness, you know, and not all the time. It's not like, you know, like, like Josh was saying, I'm not like stuck in feeling sad about it no. all the time, but it's there. And, you know, no matter how much I'm sitting, I just feel like it's, I don't know, there's like other people's difficulties or just, you know, when the mm -hmm. receiving everything, sometimes I'm like, start taking that on. How do I not take it on? Here it comes. Ready? <laughs> Train your mind. Find out, you have to find out that you're both separate from everyone else and not separate. It's called not to, it's called non, the fancy words are advaita, non-duality. There are not two things anywhere. It's just an astonishing situation to stumble into. It's 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 amazing because you, you we have this uh, idea even about enlightenment or awakening that somehow if that happens that we'll suddenly be uh, free of everything. But, uh, probably not going to happen that way. That's some kind of uh, god realm. A little drawing there that I made a while back. The top one is all the people uh, celebrating and having a lot of wealth and success and riches and so on. And all the way down, all the other realms are go right on down into the hell realm. It doesn't mean that that's an actual place, but the state of mind can be like that. And so all that uh, needs to be transcended without abandoning it, just like in this body, but not in this body. So you may not feel so good, but I think you're doing great. Why would I say something like that to you? Well, what does that mean when I'm looking at you and you're unhappy, you're suffering, and all I'm telling you is you're doing great? To me, coming from you, it means I'm, I'm just on my path. That's what you're doing, yes. I can't, I can't go in and give you any kind of uh, hope around that. Hope is extra. I'm not saying you can't hope they don't cancel your car insurance. That's a different kind of hope. <laughs> you should do a lot of that. But I'm saying uh, they're kind of leaving this situation and hoping for something better or something else is a... That energy might be better used to just be here, be where you're at. Because if anything is going to be accomplished, it's going to be out of a very, very deep understanding of who you are. Not, not that you're going to be, be able to explain it to anyone and what everything else is. What, who everyone else is. Not separate. It's fundamentally not separate. And you can do this. You're doing it now. You're just bitching about it. <laughs> A lot of people can't even do what you do. If, if you're not doing this, then somebody else is going to have to. 
do this. <laughs> you can do this. Have you noticed it gets easier and then it gets harder again? And then it gets easier. It's just like something breathing. Oh my God, I can't take this anymore. And then it kind of goes away. Pain of alternation. Pain of the composite. Pain of half a bowl of ice cream. Yes. <clears throat> What do you have to say about <clears throat> the sensation that might arise where you want to only be around people who are also doing this? Practicing meditation and mm -hmm. training their mind. Uh, it's difficult to be around people who aren't training their mind. Mm -hmm. You might not notice it at first, and then if you go into Starbucks for a few hours. But there are even people who are training their mind, they're spinning in their own circle. So you run into people who are also meditators who are d difficult, maybe not as difficult. But what is your question? <clears throat> that was my question. Did I answer it? I don't even know if it was really a question. You could paraphrase it and I could paraphrase my answer. Did you have one? You had your From uh, Anne has a Okay, we'll go to Anne and we'll come back to it. Um, let's see, she asks a couple of things. Is it true that if we sit with anything long enough, emptiness remains? And then her next question, what is the difference between nothing and emptiness? So, uh, to answer the first question, possibly, but the word emptiness is still a concept. Depends on what that's pointing to. And uh, the emptiness-fullness, uh, uh, the pair of concepts that are pointing to something being um, full of water or empty of water, that kind of thing, is, uh, uh, is, um, is not what's being talked, uh, uh, referred to or pointed to with emptiness. With shunyata, or the teaching of emptiness in Buddhism, rather it is the empty glass and the full glass not being separate. And a simple way that I've been helpful to me to think about it is the idea of emptiness is everything is empty of what you think it is. It's empty. We think that we're separate people. We think that we have, we're individuals. We think that we have our own, just that, our own territory. And we're actually empty of the, all of those ideas and concepts and beliefs, opinions. But very difficult because people who are full of their opinions, ideas, and opinions are very much want to put them on to others. I even want to do that. I do the best that I can not to. Unless I'm invited into a room like this, then I do what I need to do and get out of here. <laughs> yes. Is knowing a type of adding? Yes. Is knowing empty? Yes. If it's, tr if it's true knowing, it's empty of what you know. Very good. Knowing is not information. It's, but it's so... It's so difficult to talk, to give a Dharma talk, or to respond to questions without getting it into the same particular trap or labyrinth that everybody's caught in. To actually respond to something without adding to someone's suffering. Like addressing uh, Raquel's you know, distress about her mom without adding to that. So that's why I'm responding to it 
uh, as, as uh, sincerely and honestly as I can as saying, you may have to kill somebody. You may, you may have to do this. this. May be your path to do this. I think it probably is, but only you really know. Yes. Do we want you to know? Who? We, the Sangha. Want me to know? You can't really keep anything from me. I don't read minds either. She does. I, I say, what are they? What are you thinking? <laughs> What's for dinner? Go ahead, Gary. My question had to do with what she said about feeling alienated. Is that a common? Maybe an ask the sign. Is that a common feeling? Oh my goodness! Yes. To feel alienated. Oh yes. You feel what? Alienated. Feel alienated, feel lonely, feel going through a spiritual, I think probably any spiritual path to some extent has that happening. But quite often that's uh, one of the, you call it a side effect or, or the, the, the central effect of it is that because you, you're working with your, your, what you're doing is you're, you have all this karma coming up to this lifetime, bringing you into this particular uh, human existence. And then you run into a teaching like this that's saying, sit down and find out. It's actually saying, you, you're, you don't really know what this is and who you are. So but this is a way you can find out, if, if I were to paraphrase the Buddha. Uh, the reason you you're go from happy to sad and happy to sad, happy to sad, is because of uh, impermanence. And you, when you're trying to hang on to that, it makes it even worse. Trying to fixate on what you like and get rid of what you don't like, passion, aggression, and then ignore whatever, anything else that you can't control. And so uh, when you start to sit down uh, by yourself over a period of time, you could become lonely. You could become, feel doing it completely by yourself would be really painful. We have the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, that model. I think it's very important, very important for people uh, Probably the one I've been emphasizing lately is the Sangha, because it's quite often people go off and practice on their own and don't don't connect with other people. Well, they might connect with some of them, just with the ones that are easy to get along with. But the Sangha, like some, one time Coben, someone asked Coben, and I have to paraphrase here, how would he describe the Sangha? And he said, a garbage pit. <laughs> and the idea there is that is that you've got people who are getting together who are serious, who are intent upon realizing who they are and what this world is, and they aren't, they aren't going to settle. They aren't going to settle for some half-assed response or answer. It needs to go deep into each person's being, into each person's heart. People, you need to find out. You need to find out so you have no doubt. I'm not saying that you don't have any difficulty or any suffering or any confusion, that, that everything is suddenly, uh, what is that? Fancy Sanskrit word, hunky dory. <laughs> is that humor? Is that humor? I was hoping that would come up so I could show you. <laughs> How do we stay genuine? That's keep, just keep your eyes on it. It's more important to be genuine and be sincere and be genuine than it is to be right about anything, or even relatively right or wrong. It's more important to be genuine. Difficult, more. It's difficult in, uh, in a corporate, in the day to day life. It's that's where I, it's, it's, I, I don't know how you're you're in the corporate situation. I, I have no, and you're a supervisor, so I have no idea how you function. You've got people up here and people down here, and you're caught in a, an area where the main thing is to make a profit. That's what corporations are. So it's very difficult. You've got all these human beings are having difficulty. They're suffering. 
they're trying to get ahead and support their families and so on. So it sounds very, very difficult. Is a parent always like Yes. My question was kind of the same. It triggered something where the more I sit and I'm teaching people how to communicate, it feels like I'm teaching content that I bought into that I no longer buy into. Yeah. What do you do with that? Because they still expect that product. Well, just take them aside and say, <laughs> and then go. And then, then do that. You have to do this. Then go. <laughs> but you have to do it one at a time. You can't do it as if they think everybody's. They have to be the ones singled out. Yeah. Wait a minute. Save your money. <laughs> hold that. Hold a wink us. like that. Don't say save your money. It's your parents' money. Yeah. But then each one will think that you're. That's why you manipulate them. I really don't know. That's a, that's a challenging situation. And I think anyone who's teaching and all the testing that they're doing for these poor kids instead of meeting people, children where they're at, everyone is so different. I, I was treated to some of that when I, in, in way back uh, in ancient times, <laughs> when I went to school, treated to being, not being met. When I think of how my dynamic is uh, pretty eccentric and, uh, and I wasn't met where I was at. And so I just... I just retreated. I just, I don't know how I even got through school. I just failed over and over again. That was diff really difficult. And, I, and when I see uh, other young people that are in school, like you see all the time, trying to, you know, trying to sit, they, they kind of sense they're young enough, they kind of sense there's something phony about all this. And yet they got to get a degree because they need to mm -hmm. do, get a job or they need to, do, you know, please their parents or whatever it may be. So it's a, it's a and, and things like, uh, Things like the arts aren't funded. They don't promote that like they even did when I was young. You could at least take an art class or something. That's, that's all being kind of taken away. Yes? Marie, is there anything positive that you can I'm not feeling very positive. <laughs> I mean, happiness is fleeting and everything yeah. is sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just getting to me. Is there any hope or do you, uh, until you become a Buddha, there is none? Hope is, uh, you know, hope is bullshit. Don't waste your time with it. When I say that, I'm saying it's, the, the way it's talked about in Buddhism is hope and fear. You hope for something, but you fear you're not going to get it. And it's, uh, it's not, like I say, not that you can't say, well, I hope, uh, hope they don't cancel my insurance. I mean, I'm not saying you should get rid of that kind of it, but that, that kind of grasping at some kind of wonderful, you know, we just have to have hope. Something about that has always just stunk to me. And so it just seems like a waste of, of perfectly good feelings and emotions and, and to just put it all onto that. I would rather be uh, right here. So just live with sorrow and know it will pass. Just live with happiness, know it will pass. Just live with... Sickness, no, it'll pass. Is, is that sort of... No. no. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm saying find out who you are. As it is said in other traditions, uh, uh, what is real, what is really valuable, what is fundamentally what you're looking for, uh, is not threatened. It's not threatened by anything. But you have to find out who that is, because if you buy into a second level, uh, 
polished ego or or success or materialism of some sort, like the book Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism that I force everybody to study over and over again that, I've been, that I read myself many, many times, and I highly recommend it. Another question? Not yet. Thank you. Thank you. Is there a difference between the fear of not knowing and curiosity? Yeah, I think curiosity is just uh, being curious, wondering about something. What is? What is yeah, being curious? I think fear is a is more of a. It actually stops you from seeing because you're just afraid. It's like you ever sit in a dark room when you're eight years old and look across the room and be afraid to walk across the room without turning the lights on. Fear of not knowing what's over there. That kind of fear. Remember once I, I had a I had a, a Lionel electric train and it had little street lights that went around on the roads and the, each one of the lights, if you held it next to a incandescent light, it would charge it up somehow and then when you turn the lights off then they would glow, you know, in the dark. Like you've seen those before probably. So what I would do is I was trying to train myself to not be afraid. So I would put those together about the distance that a tiger's eyes are apart. <laughs> Put it across the room, and then I would make myself walk towards it. That's funny. Retraining for your future students. Yeah, that tiger. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I'm not saying I did that every day, but I, I, I was really afraid of being afraid. Afraid of afraid of not knowing. Afraid of not of something coming to get me or something like that. So that's not there now. Yes. This goes back to what Urshin was saying about wanting it being difficult to yeah. be around non-meditators. Yes. If we start secluding ourselves with, you know, with meditators mostly, though, is that, I mean, like, there's people who live at the monastery, so I think about this, even people yeah. living at the monastery and things like that are, are really excluding things that need to be looked at by non-meditators or we or they I mean oh, you're going to get a dose of that even people who don't meditate are still working with confusion but the upside of it is at least they're working with it in a similar way that you are so there's going to be less there's going to be some blaming going on but there's going to be less blaming going on there any blaming that's going on with someone who's working on their mind is it's just part of their karma they're probably not going to be able to change that but but at least they're they're, they're endeavoring to work on that rather than just find other reasons why they're doing what they're doing or justifying what they're doing. If you run into that, it's just, you can't, can't even discuss it. You can't even, you know, if you, if you run into that kind of uh, resistance uh, where someone's uh, just operating out of their opinions, it's just like, it's just, a, not only is it um, unproductive, it's pretty boring to just listen to people's opinions about things because they, Especially the ones that have highly polished rationale, uh, like they're, and they're they'll be just delighted if you ask them about it. So how did you get to that idea of feeling this way about this or that? And they're more than delighted to tell you, well, this happened and that, and they said this, and he did this, and they did this, and then there's this, and then you read the Magna Carta, which is a, <laughs> Magna Carta is just useless. You get rid of that. Um, you know, I mean, uh, they're. You, you give me anything, you, give me anything and I'll justify it. Huh? Go ahead, give me something. Something that's unjustifiable, I'll justify it right now. President Trump. Huh? No. He's trying to help everybody. You say President Trump? 
He's trying, can't you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to magnetize all the people and help them. It's just misunderstood. He's totally misunderstood. More? I just made my statement. He's misunderstood. Would you rather have Hillary in there? <laughs> or Mike Pence? Whoops, I didn't say that. No, I'm just saying, and I'm being a little silly, but I'm saying you can, you, uh, any, I don't care who it is, you can justify anything, especially if you're not attached to anything. You can justify anything. You can, I can, you can justify anything. Go ahead. I was just resting. Huh? I was resting. Nonverbal. Nonverbal resting? <laughs> yeah. You have a question? Yeah, she does. Yes. I thought maybe you were. I was kind of. Kind of might ask a question. Yeah, go ahead. There are some individuals that arise that you can't control that come into you, and there are some that you have a choice to say, yes, I'm going to ladies' night out, or no, I'm not going to ladies' night out. Is it okay? I mean, I'm asking for permission to say no to situations that make me uncomfortable. Well, of course. You, know, you would have to be able to do that. <laughs> There's no... Some, some people quite often say, if I don't, I don't want to do this, but if I don't do that, does, does this mean I'm ignoring something? Uh, please don't worry about taking something like ignoring or taking something like passion or taking like something like aggression and stopping it or controlling it. That's just a sophisticated form of uh, ego manipulation. If you're successful or whatever, it's better to just not be aware of what you're doing. Did you follow me a little bit? So, yeah. So if you don't want to do something, don't do it. it doesn't you don't you don't have to have any backstory around it. Just come out of come out of somewhere here. Don't come out of here. Come out, like I say, you come out of your head. This is paranoia. If you come out of your gut, then it's uh, fear. If you come out of your heart, it's pretty hard. This doesn't think. This area doesn't think. Is there a difference between isolation and solitude? Am I doing that? Are you isolating yourself? I don't. I wouldn't use that. You know, so, I mean, when we go and sit down and meditate, you're isolating. You, you need to deliberately take yourself, unplug your food processor, take it over to the wall, set it down so it doesn't buzz all the time, or if it might have some. Uh, some momentum going on, but you sit down for a while and eventually things calm down. So you're training your mind. You're doing something that's, I think, outside of any uh, religious situation or spiritual path. You're doing something just basically is a good thing to do. Slow down, slow down, hold still. And just uh, get to know yourself. And so uh, I'm, it sounds like you're talking about somebody else who's having trouble with something you're doing and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Is that it? Yeah, you, should, you should do what you Feel like you need to, especially if it that, has that kind of emotional dynamic to it. It's probably very strong. Yes, sir. Okay. Come here and say goodbye. <laughs> I won't forget a thing you said. <laughs> I can't make the same promise, but I'll try. Okay, but it's okay. Further yeah. questions? Yes. Um, yeah, one from Shane. Let's see. Uh, he asks, is there a difference between intellectual understanding and the turning about at the basis of consciousness? How are they related? The intellectual understanding is uh, helps you uh, keep your whole 
attitude, your whole body, speech, mind, this whole complex toward moving towards that. So the, it gives the ego something to do with all of this stuff. The self-centered mind can operate, can understand uh, that. Who is it asking? Shane. Well, he's in there then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that's how it looks to me. It's a, it's a lower level. I don't mean by, I don't mean lower in the sense of value necessarily, but the actual, uh, actual understanding of uh, consciousness only or perception only, which is a yoga chart teaching out of the what fourth century, uh, the common era, is is about seeing, not not intellectually, but about actually seeing that what you're looking at. And if you turn your awareness back, like I'm looking at uh, Zach, and uh, but if I turn my awareness back, I don't see anything. So what I see is, uh, I just see what I see, and, and I'm not separate from that. So the observer is the observed. The observer is actually is the observer, not separate from. I'm not saying there's a body over there and a body here and a separate uh, uh, digestive tract and all that stuff. Sure, they're separated. But the fundamental nature, if you see it, is, is that. Not separate. And if you don't see it, you will suffer. And even if you do see it, you will still suffer because you're not separate from all the people who are suffering. So you're pretty much screwed. We <laughs> <laughs> did it. What? We're laughing about that. Yeah. That was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the last person I told it, who was it, Nate? I think I told Nate one time that he was, it was a little bit harsher language. Than yeah, that. no, he said. Basically, I'm not going to swear. But I said, he, he asked me something, and I, he was sitting real close like this, and I said, you're screwed. People chuckled a little bit about that. Then he, he fired me and went and got a Theravadan teacher. That's <laughs> what he said. He was and then he went back into Roman Catholicism. Yeah, he did. He really scared him. Yeah. The Theravadan, the Theravadan teacher probably told him the same thing. He says, you wrote that other teacher told you? Remember what you told me he said? And he says, well, I agree with him. <laughs> so he went back to talk to a priest. To probably become a priest. He's a pretty, uh, he's actually teaches Buddhism over at, uh, and uh, Eastern religion over at uh, Western. Take a question. Is um, desire and fear the same thing. There's some kind of connection there. Usually it's a hope and fear that hope for something else, hope for something that's going to get better, and fear that it's not going to seem to be hooked together somehow. So I think maybe there's something resonating there, or similar frequency. Earlier you talked about the desire to be happy. Is there fear in that desire? Like, I mean, fear of not being happy? In Buddhism, we talk about desire as kind of um, a difficult thing or something to look at, but we yeah. desire, we um, appreciate our desire to be happy. But it seems at the same time with that desire to be happy in a way that's fear and disguise. Say more. How can we work with the desire or energy that wants to be happy? Without that energy going kind of underground and doing things to just get um, relative happiness. So the idea there is you don't have to work with it in such a way that you've stopped something from happening or promoted something that else it should be happy. It just needs to be done with awareness. We already have, uh, in our tradition, we have 16 vows, vow to refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, vow to be, do good, not to do harm, to be with all things, 
don't kill, don't steal, don't tell lies, don't uh, sexually abuse somebody, don't, and all the rest of them down the line. Um, so we already have all of those happening. Those are reference points for us. So I'm not sure what where you were going with that. I don't know. I just it seems like desire is a form of fear sometimes, or it feels like that. Not not a descriptive. Well, you're, you're, maybe I could take it this way: uh, if you're by yourself and you're alone and you're feeling fearful or um, feeling um, bored or or lonely or something, maybe maybe finding something else. You're going into passion about something could have some. You know, going doing something else, going to a movie, you know, being being distracted, being entertained, so you can get out of your negative feelings. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess the I guess the better way to put it is, you often say desire is wanting things to be different than they are. Yeah. So if you were use that word with happiness, I desire happiness. Okay, so acknowledge that. But then if you say we're wanting something to be different than it is, then we're desiring something to be different than it is and exchanging it for happiness. Okay. Yes. I, I remember that statement. It was the heart's desire. Yes. Different than the, my desire. Yeah. And the heart's desire is here for us. Yes. That, that's, and it's not a. It's it's not meant to be. Uh, be here now. Be happy. Kind of. It's not a promise particularly. It's just that the, the relative situation is kind of a trap. I mean, we go into it, and then it, it it's just relative truth. It comes and it goes, and it comes and we're happy. We feel pretty good, and then it falls apart, and it can fall apart. Just we just don't feel good anymore, or something. Uh, excuse me, something terrible can really happen. We can lose our job, lose our mate, lose our uh, lose our health, and suddenly everything's going the other way. And then we start to try to figure out how to get it back. And those things are going to happen if you're alive. Then some version of that's going to happen either with your own situation or with the people that you found yourself uh, married to or living with or or born to <laughs> to be put it the more uh, uh, more out, out of your control uh, but but to be fundamentally happy uh, beyond just like um, unconditional without conditions that you're, you're just things are are just like they are there there's no you don't want something else you don't want more money. You don't want more of this, more of that. Well, you don't. You don't really want. It's not that you don't eat, but you're not. You're not grasping at something other than what is right here all the time. And so then the word for that uh, would be uh, a kind of just basic. You can even use fancy words: existential appreciation for just being uh, alive. And, and and also this isn't disregarding your your senses that you could you can be be in the physical pain very easily just by a, an illness or something or you can you can also feel pretty good you have, you have uh, good feelings and negative feelings but not particularly wanting something else and whatever is happening then that's uh, it's not your it's not like you're resigned to it that's a different that's more of a self-centered kind of attitude where you're trying to get a little payout off out of being resigned you aren't really resigned you aren't anything you're just here and the, the realization part of that, which is taught in the yoga chart tradition, is everything is perception only. So when I look at the yellow uh, blanket that, uh, that Flita has, I'm just picking that out as something. But, but if you look at it, you can, there's a way you can look at that. So when I say it's a way, I, it's not even a way I can't describe it. I'm just saying don't 
Anytime you look at anything, make sure you're looking at what is there rather than what you think is there. As soon as you name it, uh, you've actually abandoned what was in front of you and you're into your thought patterns. Even if your eyes are open, you're looking at the object. You, you can't just tell someone, stop thinking, because it doesn't work, because you can't stop thinking. But you can begin to use your senses to bring you into this present moment. There's so much going on here besides, besides your thought patterns, how the color of things, how things look, how things are shaped, how things move. Whoops, it's going that way, not that way. Everything that's happening, everything that's uh, happening is, is, uh, is coming through all of your six sense fields, including your mind. Don't accept them, don't reject them, don't look away. Those are the three poisons. And if you do that, then they're just there. And when they're just there, you're not separate from those. In other words, the object that you're looking at and the, the perceiving consciousness that is seeing it through whatever one of the three, uh, five, six senses uh, is not separate from that. Separated, but not fundamentally separate. It's uh, Trump and Bajay called it ordinary magic. He also called it sacred world. He said there, there isn't anything opposite of sacred world. It's just sacred. It's just ultimately valuable. Yes, sir. Is it important um, to train the body as well as the mind? In the context that we're talking about, you're, you're holding still. So you're training your body to hold very still. Is that what you mean, or is there some other, I, like I, yoga? Physical health, being well. Probably you should eat something. <laughs> we'll do, okay. <laughs> you should, God, you should, you should take care of it. Usually that's not too much of a problem. Usually we take care of ourselves. But you could, there are people who tend to go into, uh, when you start to study, which I recommend that you do, study uh, um, cutting through spiritual materialism, which you've been coming to that class. Uh, he talks about the three lords of materialism. And there are ways of, and it's not wrong, it's just a particular way that we avoid everything else by buying into a particular lord of materialism. We become really interested in bodybuilding or really interested in yoga, and that's the whole thing. We don't do anything else but just that. Or we don't do any, you know, we just pick an area and we just put all of our our baskets in one egg. <laughs> <laughs> you agree. <laughs> I only laugh if he laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a really bad metric. <laughs> yeah, because you laugh a lot. Uh -huh. You do, yeah. So I, I, anytime I say something, I always look at Zach and say, Zach, laugh. <laughs> that means it's it barely passed. <laughs> Let's see. Who doesn't laugh much? Chazan. Yeah, Chazan. He can't get it. Uh, the whole place can be, in the Zendo, can be laughing at something, not just me or anything. He's, he's like... He's probably watching me right now. <laughs> probably not. He, he just got back. <laughs> he just got back. Yeah. Oh, he's probably not watching me. Let's see. Should I pay attention to my wife or watch my teacher? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can watch it later if he wants to. Any further questions before we close? Are we all going to go eat somewhere? Good. Where at? We're going to try to get reservations at Red Mesa. What's at Red Mesa? To like a Tex-Mex kind of thing. Tex-Mex. Margaritas. Margaritas. I agree. <laughs> I can't do those anymore. I think it is. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for anyone who 